What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, the best independent sports podcast on the planet is brought to you by our presenting sponsor panko chicken panko chicken is the home of the best japanese american chicken tender and it continues to rack up the awards in atlanta winning the 2019 super bowl live top selling vendor award multiple best-selling tastes at the taste of atlanta awards in 2017 and 2018 and even the best fried chicken award at the 2018 ATL Cluckfest. Panko is all about connecting cultures, cultivating happiness, one chicken tender at a time. I love Panko, their family, and I can't thank them enough for their support of this podcast. It it just it means a lot. And um yeah, so go to their Midtown location, their Tucker location, and all their future locations as they take over Atlanta because they're family. And I love them and I couldn't be more excited to see more and more locations pop up and all of that um, that goes with it. So go to go to Panko, get some chicken, get some rice, get some beer. There's all kinds of great stuff. Um, whatever you want, Panko Chicken has it. So go do that. Um, also, go to chasethomaspodcast.com. I am uh, I'm writing my ass off there uh, these days. So go do that. Read my stuff. You can get access to all of my previous episodes. You can buy my merch. You can learn more about just why I do what I do and why I believe I'm going to get where I want to go. Um, this is my dream, this, uh, this sports media thing. And um, you were going to see me on ESPN one day or Sports Illustrated, or Fox Sports, or DAZN, or whoever, um, because I'm not going to quit. I am, I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep grinding. I'm going to keep punching out episodes, writing articles, and just outworking everyone, because I just, I just want this more, and I believe my product, and I believe in where I'm going. Um, we're over 300 episodes strong and this is what I want. Uh, there will be no slowing down. Took a break, but this is, uh, this is my jam and this is what I want. This is my passion. And, uh, yeah. So leave a rating, leave a review on iTunes. It mean a lot. Share my articles on Twitter, Facebook, wherever. Um, and join me as I keep climbing the ladder and, all of that because I I just I need your support. So if you like the podcast, keep listening, keep subscribing, tell tell your friends, keep sharing it out, keep reading my work, and uh, yeah. So okay, all right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. <laughs> um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back on a Wednesday night edition of the Champions Podcast. I am now joined by old friend of Pat's Pulpit, Mr. Phillips. Mr. Brian Phillips, good evening. How are you? 
Chase, what's going on, man? Um, the last time we talked, were you in Atlanta at the airport? I feel like that's the last. Uh, I was, I yeah. Do- back, okay. in, uh, back in April, I had a long layover after uh, a certain golf tournament down there in the state of Georgia. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, a beautiful Hartwell Jackson. There you go. Um, so... Uh, this podcast, you are a fan of, let me check my notes here, um, the New England Patriots, who I believe are in the AFC. So you are an expert on not only dominating the AFC East, but just the AFC in general. And yesterday, Evan Sowards and I did the NFC and did a back and forth question for each of us. I'm going to do something different tonight with you. So what I want to do is I want to ask about each of the 16 teams in the AFC. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm just going to ask very plainly, um, why is this team interesting to you? And then some teams will be more interesting than others. Some teams will be less interesting than others. But I'm going to try to keep it between two to three minutes per team. But some teams might be shorter. Um, Shout out to Miami Dolphins. Um, But we'll have to see. So let's start with the Buffalo Bills. Brian, why are the Buffalo Bills interesting heading into 2019? Oh, man. So the Buffalo Bills are interesting because of their defense. Um, we know we know they were a top-five unit last year, and I think they're only going to be – I mean, they, they, you add Ed Oliver to that group, and you've got a really – they've got something special brewing on that side. Maybe maybe that's not the – maybe that's, like that's, it goes against the uh, – about against what we're trying to do here with the, with the topic of most interesting. So maybe the most interesting is can Josh Allen just keep this thing on the tracks because they've got they've got the pieces in place to start making a decent run. Now I'm kind of tossed. What do you, what do you think? I think you're right. Your your gut instinct was more um, in line with what I'm thinking because they only lost one starter, which is Kyle Williams, and they replaced him with Ed Oliver. And I can't tell at, you how. First of all, I cannot tell you how happy I am to have Kyle Williams out of the division. <laughs> Kyle Williams has been a terror. You know, as, as much as another team in the Patriots. Yeah, he's really impeded the Patriots dynasty. Kyle right. Williams really has fucked over the Pats <laughs> and on their way to multiple Super Bowl runs. Yeah, really it's a shame that he like, won't be around uh, anymore. <laughs> haunting like the, the patriot dreams every, everybody's got that guy in their conference that that wishes that he was on their squad kyle williams has long been that guy for me uh so uh happy to see you go but uh hey the guy the guy was a baller i i like the secondary i like the continuity i like everything about this group on the defensive side of the ball i think people have gone way too far the other way on the offense where it's like oh they got him some real weapons because they replaced a bunch of starters like the offensive line's almost completely different looks like cody ford's going to start at right tackle um cordy like they traded cordy glenn last year they mitch morse missed all of the preseason and they paid him a lot of money from kansas city that offensive line has not played a snap together yet and that concerns me i I just think this offense is still going to be bad and I think that like the Cole Beasley, Zay Jones, all that, like that, that receiver group still sucks. Like it's improved, but that yeah. group was terrible last year. So I just think it's going to be interesting to me because best case scenario, I mean, they're trying to build the Panthers North anyway. Um, I think if you were to see a top five defensive DVOA team again and really clean up their red zone touchdown percentage because they just, they were good in total yards allowed, but they just always seem to surrender um points in the red zone and if they can drop that a little bit they're they're in business but i wonder 
how many games they can actually win if that defense is top five in defensive DVOA. They cut down the red zone mistakes and Josh Allen and this offense is like 26th in the league in offensive DVOA. Do they still go nine right. and seven, make the playoffs? That's what I think is interesting. Yeah. I mean, you add, I mean, you add John Brown to the group who's like one of your, you know, like your EPA per target, like darlings, you know, he was even, he even thrived in the Baltimore offense last year and, 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 you know, in spurts, obviously there was a lot going on at the quarterback position there. Um, but I, I just want to see Josh Allen just, just become a little bit more of a quote unquote, like just become a quarterback a little bit more. Uh, you know, they've got the guys to make it, make life a little bit easier on him when, when you talk about like Cole Beasley in the slot. Uh, but yeah, I still think you're right. In, in general, the offense isn't going to be, isn't going to be fantastic. It's not going to be great. Um, but it just needs to be serviceable when you've got a defense that good. Uh, maybe that's not the case in today's NFL, but I mean, I know that they can, they, they have the road, the road is in front of them for a nine to 10 win season. It's just a matter. I think it's all going to fall on Josh Allen's shoulders. Yeah, I'm not biting. I, I think the team that we're going to talk about next, I'm more in line to believe in nine and seven, 10 and six. And that's the New York Jets. I, okay. I believe in that group more. I believe in the talent there a little bit more. I think the defense will be better with Greg Williams. I think they have a lot of talent in the secondary. I think that pass rush, if it's just not anemic this year, they're in business. I think Le'Veon Bell is just going to have a really good, really, really just dominant season. I just, I'm really high on what's going to happen there. Love Robbie Anderson. But my question for you, what makes the Jets interesting? What makes the Jets interesting is how they are exactly the opposite of the Bills. Mm. Um, because I mean, I, I don't know how they get it done uh, on defense. I mean, they poured a ton of money into you know guys like CJ Mosley. Um, obviously, they've got the safeties and Adams and and and, uh, and May, but um, man, their 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 corners are a disaster, and that front seven's going to be it's it's going to be tough to generate pass rush. I mean, I, I'm I mean, you're not going to find a bigger Quentin uh, Quentin Williams fan than me. But I mean, him, him and uh, him and Leonard are going to have to, you know, generate literally everything uh, for that unit up front. Um, I think it's it's the exact opposite of what's going on in Buffalo. Uh, like if you could just flip flop the quarterbacks for these two teams, I think like you know if, if Sam Darnold was quarterbacking the Buffalo Bills, I mean you'd be talking about you know a, a team that would be you know, knocking on the door in the playoffs. But um, I mean, I'm with you when it comes to when it comes to the talent on the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, they're 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 moving in the right direction in, in New York. Um, and Sam Darnold, everybody expects him to take that that next that next step. Um, but I think the defense is really going to hold them back this year. Okay. Um, next up, um, a team that I think you know, the New England Patriots. What makes them interesting? Josh Gordon. Mm. Um. We, I mean, everybody, it's been talked to death um, about how important he was to their offense last year. Uh, the most efficient wide receiver Tom Brady has had from an EPA per target standpoint uh, since, you know, Randy Moss. I don't know if you've ever heard of Randy Moss. He's I've heard a, of a, mm -hmm. a dynamic player back in the early 2000s. Have a t-shirt, um, straight cash homie. <laughs> it's amazing, man. Um, some would say the goat. Some would say the goat. Uh, mm -hmm. but we, won't, we won't touch that. Um Josh Gordon, you know, what can he stay in this uh, on this roster for 16 games and maybe into the postseason? Um, and help ease the pain of losing uh, Rob Gronkowski. I think Josh Gordon is the most interesting aspect of the Patriots this year. For me, I think it's their secondary. 
like they were just jc jackson was so good stefan gilmore is just so good um i just i wonder if it's sustainable i wonder if they're as dominant as they were a season ago i wonder if it was a blip or i wonder if those two are just going to be locked down corners for years to come i'm interested to see what the secondary numbers look like this year for them for, for sure i think well, I mean, a guy you can't overlook though is also Jonathan Jones. How how yeah. excellent he's been in the slot too. Um, he's a he's a unrestricted free agent next year. Um, and then obviously Devin McCourty and Pat Chung. You know, it's 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 so it's so cliche and annoying and boring. But like the scheme and everything they run there. I mean, they are one collective unit and they are so interchangeable and just it's the Belichick sauce, man. It's it's so it's weird. Um, I think uh, I think we're going to see special things from their defense. I know they're getting a lot of talk right now about how how good this defense could be um, in terms of other Belichick defenses in the past. I'm not ready to go like, oh, this is this rivals the 04 defense, but um, it's going to be very good, and they're definitely going to be up there in that uh, low points allowed. Um, they might not be there in the DVOA, but they'll definitely be up there in the low points allowed category at the end of the year. The Miami Dolphins. Ooh. This is going to be tough. This is going to be tough. What makes them interesting? <laughs> well, they traded away Kenny Stills, so um, I guess I'll go with Brian Flores. Makes them interesting. Josh Rosen. I mean, would we like the chalk toys? I guess. Um, but like, I I don't. I want to see one of these Belichick disciples like truly flourish. And the reason that they don't is because they go to these other teams. You start blowing things up. You start putting new policies in place and, and, and obviously the players there make a lot of noise in the press and then next thing you know the fan base sentiment goes away and you don't have the, the trust and the patience of ownership and next thing you know you're two years in and, and you're already on the, uh, the proverbial chopping block you don't have a good three or four years to really plant roots and grow a system i'm really interested to see if they let brian flores do that down there um because they certainly have. Uh, they've certainly gotten all the weeds out of the garden. Right? They've certain. They've, they've they've blown. They've completely blown the entire thing up. Um, and you, there's really only only one place to go from here, and that's up with all the, all the resources and the cap and the draft that they have coming up. So it'll be interesting to see how B-Flow um, gets uh, gets things cooking down there. I think it's the three wide receiver look with Devontae Parker, Jakeem Grant, and Albert Wilson. When those three are on the field, I like that look. I like what Grant and Wilson do independently. I will never quit Devontae Parker, unfortunately. I still think <laughs> um, he can still be a guy. He has his moments, and I just I refuse to, to quit that guy. And then also, like, Kalen Ballage and Kenyon Drake, who we all, I think, both like. And it's they have interesting, like, unknowns on the offensive side of the ball that I just want to see if any of them kind of hit with uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick or Josh Rosen because I think this team's going to be the worst in football, and I think that's the plan for them. Um Right, but, for sure. Yeah, I don't. I don't think this is going to be a very good football team next year. More at eleven. Yeah, would you, um, when, when Julian Davenport is probably your starting left tackle, but you don't have that solidified yet. Yeah, you're probably going to be the worst team in football. Not great. Um, the AFC North, the Baltimore Ravens. What makes them interesting? Oh, this is such a great division. Um, God, it's such, it's a chalk answer, but it's Lamar Jackson. Obviously, I think he's the I think he's the most interesting guy in the division, maybe the AFC this year, um, because of how dynamic he can be and 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 the, the the players they put around him. Obviously, they're doing special things on the defensive side of the ball, um, but 
if Lamar Jackson just takes a, t- a teeny tiny baby steps in year two um, from what we saw last year um, with how dynamic he is in that running game, um, they could they could be they could be a, a real problem uh, for teams uh, come playoff time. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm 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 sticking with Lamar Jackson. I'm interested to see if they can get four tight ends on the field at the same time. That's what I'm here <laughs> for. Yes. Yeah. I just they they've really loaded up on on tight ends. I mean Andrews, Hurst, all those guys. Like sure, like let's see how many snaps they all get together. But they've given up on receiver. It's just basically fast guys who hopefully get open every now and then, and then uh, a bunch of bunch of tight ends. So I just i I want to see what that looks like, and I want to see how this offense. personnel. Yeah, let's see it. I'm I'm here for it. Uh, Greg Greg <laughs> Roman, get nuts, sir. Um, the Pittsburgh Steelers. What makes them interesting besides being my favorite uh, to win the division this year? Devin Bush. Mm. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Michigan man. And Devin Bush is going to take the lead by storm. He's going to be the defensive rookie uh, of the year this year. Um, he's going to be. I mean, people love they love the volume stat that that rookies can stack up, like we saw with Darius Leonard last year. That's going to be the kind of the kind of guy that they're going to be getting. And Devin Bush, he's going to, I mean, sideline to sideline, chasing down ball carriers. I think he's a guy that can, he, he's one of these new hybrid linebackers. He's got the potential to start helping take away these, um, this influx in running back targets that we've seen. Um, guys like that, I'm really interested to see how, if they deploy him against James White, um, against the Patriots on Sunday. Um, but yeah, Devin Bush, um, Devin Bush is the man. He's going to be, uh, he's going to have a great year and he's going to, he's going to be exactly what they thought. They had, you know, for a little while there. Obviously, Brian Shazier. Um, he's going to help. He's going to help them, uh, you know, um, get past the uh, the Ryan Shazier era, and uh, and it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch him play this year. I think it's Deontay Johnson, and Ooh. if hey, just PFF Austin Gale, shout out to my guy. I just watched so much of that tape, and then I went down a very dark Toledo wide receiver rabbit hole. Um, a few months back and I can't unsee the Antonio Brown stuff so I just I want to see if he and James Washington really break out because everybody's like oh Juju's the number one and Juju's great I just that team is if they're able to immediately like they're the inverse of the Patriots when it comes to drafting receivers where they just you assume they're all gonna hit and they usually do um right and James Washington hasn't hit yet he didn't get a lot of snaps last year didn't get a lot of targets but he figures to get a lot more, and I think Deontay Johnson's going to be used a lot. And I just want to see um, if he can actually be just like this really valuable, great piece right away. And if we're talking about like week nine, it's like, oh, have y'all been watching Deontay Johnson? Because this is happening. He's actually going to be a star wide receiver and might be the top 10 receiver in football in a couple of years. Like that's that's what I'm going to be watching. I'm going to be watching uh, the highlights and seeing what uh, – um, Deontay Johnson is up to that, Pittsburgh. That would, that would make so much sense. Like, yeah, that would just, that, of course it would happen. Pittsburgh. Yeah. I love it. You love to see it folks. Um, the Cincinnati Bengals, this might be a tough one. Um, how do we, what is their nickname based? Like they just, they have the smallest front office in football. Zach Taylor is like the most, like they're just the blandest team now all of a sudden. And it's weird because the Bengals, during the Marvin Lewis era, they weren't bland. They were a lot of things, but they had an identity and they weren't bland. They had, they had guys shot yeah. to Vontez Burfitt and, uh, 
every failed cornerback they drafted that we all liked coming into the draft. <laughs> but like they they've had guys, you know, Atkins, things like that. But this is like most down. I think I've been on the Bengals in a long time. Um, they should have gone to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. That was uh, an unfortunate Andy Dalton injury. Um, but I, I will hold on to the belief that that was a Super Bowl team that year. Um, but this year, what makes them interesting? Oh, oh man. Um, I guess um, if, you know, maybe I'm going to maybe go with like William Jackson to see if he can like step out of the, uh, like, yes, he's, he's good, but maybe if he can step into that, like, for sure top 10 role, like a top 10 corner conversation, I guess. But like, I'm, man, am I struggling on this one? Uh, I know. You're, you're, it's you're tough. Right. It's like insane. Like, like when we're talking about a team that went out and like their, their free agent move was like, guys, any opportunity, you can go and get a guy like Bobby Hart to play right tackle for you. You got to take it. Let's do it. Like that was their thing this off season. So like that's that's what we're de- that's what we're dealing with here. So like I mean maybe yeah I guess William Jackson the third like I mean Shaq like, like Shaq Lawson or excuse me Carl Lawson uh you know looking healthy I guess that's like awesome but I don't I don't know where else to go with it. I've really struggled with this, but I think it's just health because I think if that offense is healthy. We saw what their record was last year with and without AJ Green, and if he plays 16 games and um, Tyler Boyd, his breakout season was legit. And I know this is just silly to say out loud, but if Tyler Eifert's healthy, um, right, that offense still has a bunch of weapons that can be utilized in a really well, like really smart way from Zach Taylor. So if he does a Sean McVay type 11 personnel heavy scheme and you have green Boyd, Tyler Eifert getting out there. Um, who's, who am I forgetting? Who's the other Bengals receiver that's starting? It's been the idea of Tyler Eifert. I feel like I, you know, he's looking at like he's a, not the idea. Like Cause that's project. like the he's idea like where it's hologram. like, I, I don't think he's the idea because I think if you're the idea, it's like, oh, he could be good. It's like, no, we know he's awesome. Like, we know he's maybe the right. best tight end in football when he's healthy now. It's just he's never healthy. Oh, John Ross. That's the other one. That's what I was forgetting. So if John Ross is healthy and you get him, you get Tyler Boyd, you get A.J. Green, you get Joe Mixon out of the backfield, Andy Dalton you gets closer. Bonnie Bernard, the best, the best running back on the roster. Mm. I, um, the I could see pay. them being okay. Cordy Glenn, good season at left tackle. Can't rule it out. Andre Smith's back in the fold. I would like them a lot more if Jonah Williams did not go down immediately. That was that was a bad omen. But I I will talk myself into that offense if they're healthy. I think that team can't be bad if their their offensive skill players are are healthy. So um I don't know. I that's that's as much as I can do. Sorry, Bengals fans. Um the Browns. <laughs> That's a, and you know what? You, you carried a lot of water for that Bengals franchise right there. They should they should be they should absolutely be thanking you. I would um I would welcome a what who who would I welcome? What kind of merch would I welcome from the Bengals? I would take a big helmet. They have cool helmets. Bengals. Bengals those Twitter. Send sick. me a helmet. Or one of those uh the color the the color rush. Those are pretty sick color rush units. Yeah, I like that. Give me a um Achilles Smith jersey. I'll rock it. Oh, solid. 
Um, the Browns, who are the exact opposite in this category, because there's about a billion things that are interesting about this team. But if you had to pick one, what is it? Right, like what isn't interesting about the Browns? Um, Miles Garrett's defensive pl- uh, defensive player of the year award this year um, is the most interesting. Uh, Miles Garrett is, I mean, he might be the best. I mean, by the end of the year, he'll be in the conversation. Like now that all these eyeballs are finally like really, really on the Browns this year. Uh, and he takes that next step forward. The next step forward for him is getting into the Khalil Mack conversation. Like the, like, is he better than Khalil Mack? I think he'll be in, he'll be worth talking about in that top five players in football category by the end of the year. Hmm. I've heard this a lot. Chris Sims had him as his defensive player of the year on his podcast this week. Um, oh, did he? Ooh, I didn't know that. Oh no. Ooh, I love Chris Sims. Oh, I'm not okay. Well, you're not a Chris Sims guy, guy. So, like, you know how he, this goes. He loves the Pats. Yeah. He he loves the Pats. Like he he's talks a, about Pats all the Brady time. He's a conspiracy theory guy. He's a Brady like system guy. Like mm. you're not you're not a like like denying science type of guy. I, I will ride for Chris Sims. He's he's entertaining and. <laughs> Um, I, I enjoy Chris Simmons work, uh, Chris Simmons, Chris Sims. Um, and I miss, but he's right. He's right in this, in this case, he's absolutely, he's not right right because you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the conversation about the NL MVP right now. We're like Braves fans do this every year. Like in Freddie Freeman is a great baseball player. He is a top five NL player. He's top. He's, I guess he's top five, but he's not even leading the team in war. That'd be Ronald Acuna. It's. Like, whenever he has a good night, they're all like, he deserves to be in the MVP conversation. He deserves to be in the MVP conversation. And it's like, oh my God, no, he doesn't. Because the conversation is not real. Like, if Aaron Donald plays 16 games, like, he's the MVP. It's like voter fatigue if Miles Garrett wins. Like, I'm just trying to see a scenario where if a healthy Aaron Aaron Donald does not deserve it again. It's like the LeBron stuff. It's just, Miles Garrett's probably gonna be like one of the four best defenders in football this year on the defensive line. Like he'll be with Eric Cleo Mack and everybody else. But like, is anyone taking Aaron Donald um, or not taking Aaron Donald over him? Like what, right. what are we so doing? Like you have to, so like, so I, I did open the door. I never said Aaron Donald's name. I said, the, I brought him all the way up to Cleo Mack. You I, hid I, behind I, it. You like, brought up Cleo Mack and not oh, Aaron Donald. I wasn't going to let exactly. that slide. Yeah. And, and so like I hid, I, you know, cause no, cause like Aaron Donald's the best player in football. Like he's like, so, like that's that's the See, guy. He's like, not the best Pat, player in football. I can't might, go there either. Pat Mahomes, Pat Mahomes might be there, but like nobody is as dominant at what they do, and there's a bigger gap between him and the next guy than Aaron Donald and everybody else, in my opinion. Interesting. See, I just think quarterbacks so are too valuable. Good. I don't know. I think the top five quarterbacks are all more valuable than Aaron Donald. I think that's just. It's really hard for me to get there. Right, um, but like most valuable or like best player, right? Most There's valuable. Always, uh, semantics, right? Yeah. That's tough. But they're both awesome. So um, I don't know. I think Baker year two is going to be fun. I, I'm just interested to see how the personalities work. Does this all go the way they want it to? And um, also, does Steve Wilkes actually help this defense more than Greg Williams? And like the scheme issues that we saw with um, Williams coming out of LSU, Greedy Williams, and like they were like, uh, this is not the best fit. This a Ward fall off, kind of like Marcus Lattimore did last year, who had a sneaky, terrible season after a great rookie season. Um, uh-huh. I don't know. I think there's a chance this defense takes a step back, which is going to be interesting um, for that group. But I don't think they win the division. I think they're probably a wild card team. Um, the AFC South talked a lot about the Texans yesterday. They, everybody's talking about the Texans. What makes them interesting for you? 
Uh, well, I mean, I'm kind of the obvious, like, you know, Bill O'Brien, like, just, like, storming the castle without a GM and just doing whatever he wants. Um, for me, I mean, for me, anytime I'm watching the Texans, I can't take my eyes off of DeAndre Hopkins, so I'll just go there. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins is, is unbelievable. Um, yeah, I mean, I still think, yeah, they got better. They got, they got, they probably got better this year. If if you consider that they weren't going to be playing with uh, Davian Clowney anyway. Why do we assume um, anyway? that? Well, just because of the way things were going. Um, I mean, he they always go like that back. until they're not. Ezekiel Elliott was going to hold out until week 10. Melvin Gordon was going to be gone for the whole season, maybe. Melvin Gordon's probably going to be back soon, too. Why do... What, what? This, this guy, there's this no reason really to trade Clowney. It was dumb. Oh, 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 oh there's absolutely... You're absolutely correct in that. In, in that, But but Javion Clowney doesn't have to accrue another year to get to free agency. Like, you know, they would have they would have been back in the same boat if he if he didn't come back. He could have been he could have gone to free agency next year if they didn't tag him again, which they would have been in the or same just boat. pay the him. They had cap space. Just pay right, him. Right. Oh, oh, it's it's absurd. Like, what are you doing? What are what in the world are you doing? You have you have JJ Watt, Jadavian Clowney, Whitney Merciless all in the same building, and and you just can't make it work. What are you doing? Um. Maybe so. Yeah, that's probably the most interesting aspect of it. But now that it's kind of over and gone, like you know, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, it's 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 his show, and uh, you know him him and him and Deshaun Watson. How far can they can they carry each other? And uh, you know, obviously with Lamry Tunzel coming in, you know, like it, it projects to be better. But like who knows? Like you, like you said, like uh, I forget which uh, team you were talking about when these uh, the Bills when these offensive lines just. You, you just throw them together and you don't uh, have any time together. Um, it's easy to project them on paper, but you know, it could still be just as much of a disaster for a while. And you know, the division's there for the taking, but you know, who knows the Jacksonville Jaguars, what makes them interesting? Oh man. Um, God, they are, that's a really not interesting team. Oh man. Um, DD Westbrook, maybe. Um, oh God, fuck! Yeah, dark times. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, we could talk about their defense until we're blue in the face, right? But like, I mean, maybe if some, maybe maybe the answer is like Yannick and uh, Gakwe's, you know, contract situation and why they won't pay him. Why would you not want him? And then Josh Allen, who looks to be like a like he's going to be if he plays at all, like we saw him in this preseason. Like you've got two prolific pass rushers to go, or guys like Calais Campbell and. Um, and in Miles Jack up on the front seven, so like I don't know, but DB Westbrook I think is going to take a big year three jump um, playing out of the slot. Nick Foles loves his slot receivers. That's really all they got going on the offensive side of the ball. So uh, I think we see a big jump out of him this year. And I've always been I, I've always been uh, a big fan of his uh, from a skill skill you know standpoint. So we'll see how that goes. I think it's Leonard Fournette. Because of all the weird stuff that's gone on, and now they're talking him back up that uh, he's going to be good now, and they're going to go back to that run-first identity that they had two years ago that almost got them to beat the Pats. Um, I don't know if they can recapture what they had two years ago, and I just want to see if they're able to pivot like that with Nick Foles and the run game, and if that offensive line's good enough to do it, and the, de- the defense gets back to where it was two years ago as well. It just I don't know. Maybe they just had a gap year last year. We'll, we'll have to see. Um, the Tennessee Titans, who just I think are going to be guaranteed to be the worst watching football this year. I think the Dolphins could be fun bad, 
especially with Fitzmagic, I think the Titans are going to be painfully average, and I don't like any of it. Um, Dion Lewis, uh, because sure. I'm a slappy, like I'm a Dion Lewis slappy. Like I, I, I'm uh, this guy just gets the worst rap. Like last year with his 3.3 yards per carry, but like the film is like insanely ridiculous. When you look at the blocking and the situations they had him run in, he was still top 10 and like all the elusive gift ratings and avoided, avoided tackling, uh, avoided tackle stats and all these next gen stats. Um, and Derek Henry is, got, I mean, he's, through the first 12 weeks, he, I think it's 58 yards in his top rushing game through 12 weeks. And then he had the big uh, push towards the end with like a 240 yard game. And uh, he's not, he's the fact of the matter is the best running back and the best offensive skill player on that team is Deion Lewis. Uh, and I think he's, he's primed for a big year from like the fantasy perspective. He's got some huge touchdown regression coming um, for how many touches and yards he had for only having two scores last year. But, you're right. I mean, that team is going to be bad. The Marcus quarterbacks, Marcus Mariota's, you know, he's pretty much trash. And uh, yeah, I'm thinking Matt Lafleur is happy to be out of uh, out of Nashville. To be honest. Yeah. Um, their OC off the top of their head. Do you know who it is? Uh, it is Smith. Arthur Smith. Yeah, longtime guy Art. who like survived multiple coaching um, head coaching guys. It, it's really weird. Yeah, but it sounds great. Yeah, he's like he's, yeah, he's like on every regime's guy. He's like right. He was like the assistant, like tight ends, quality control coach. I think he, he was like, on the staff of the Music City Miracle. I think we can uh, run the numbers, and I think he was there for that. <laughs> Wait, so he's got Jeff Fisher tied? Yeah, seven and nine for the Titans. That I mean, seven and nine feels right. Um, the Indianapolis Colts. I feel like the obvious answer is Jacoby Brissett, but um, unfortunately, right. I'm like a, I'm I'm part of the the Chad Kelly hive, so um, <laughs> I'm at, that's what I'm rooting for. Chad Kelly hive. That's that's like that's amazing. Um, because they are now not interesting at all. I think uh, I'm going to go with uh, Danico Autry, who I was ringing the bell for last year in for the Patriots pickup. Um, had a really really nice. I believe it was like only nine or ten games for them last for the Colts last year. I think he was extremely productive, but he was an interesting few games. Um, I just am a Danico Autry uh, fanboy, so I'm gonna go with Danico Autry in that front seven. Okay. Um, my answer is Chad Kelly, as I stated, because I still <laughs> think he's good, and I think he's actually better than Jacoby Brissett, and we just need to see it. Um, that dude's so much fun to watch too. And I just, I want him on Sundays. I want him in my life. Um, so oh, Brian see. Hoyer is like the bane of your existence right Dude, the now. Brian like, Hoyer why? stuff is oh. fucking wild. Like, I think he's probably super nice guy. Keep getting him checked. Shout out to him for staying in the league for this long. But, um, and people are like, oh, how does he get a three-year deal? I mean, it's a one-year deal with like $8 million guaranteed. And it's like, they're probably going to move on after this year. But, um. Ooh, can I, I have to change my answer. Oh, shit. I have to, I, I, I completely oh, have to change my answer. Um, the, the answer is, uh, how are the Colts going to spend enough to not violate the collective bargaining agreement? Cause they're mm. like, I believe they're like a hundred million dollars away from like the salary floor of the 89% cash spending floor that you have to spend in four, like the four year windows. Like, so by the end of next year, they have to spend this insanely huge amount of money that obviously so much was going towards Andrew Luck. And a big part of this reason they're letting Luck keep so much of it. Because if they if they rescinded some of it, they'd have to spend even more later anyway. 
I think that becomes that's easily the most interesting. And so, like, what do you spend it on? I guess we'll just give Jacoby Brissett thirty million. I guess we'll just give Brian Hoyer twelve and like guarantee nine of it. But like, maybe we'll just give him the other three at the end. <laughs> like, who knows? I think that's interesting. Hmm. Okay. I like also, it. there's no. Also, nobody really knows the penalty if you don't do it. So, like, that's that's another thing, fun thing about the CBA. There's there's no laid out penalties if it, if something happens. It's just just don't do I it. I think you that. have to um, have breakfast with Megan McCain every Thursday for six months. <laughs> Yikes! Okay, got spend. spend. My father. Um. So the the AFC West. The Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I, I just—it's interesting. You would think there'd be a lot more interesting things. I think the McCoy stuff doesn't matter, and people talking themselves into that kind of stuff. It's like I could see him just getting injured and being gone by week four, and it's back to the Damian Million show, and we're just like, why do we pretend that he matters when Patrick Mahomes is this team's quarterback? Um, what for you is interesting about them? Um, I thought the uh, the whole Frank Clark. Uh, D Ford whole deal was pretty interesting this off season, but I mean, I just don't know what they're planning on doing with these core. I mean, they, they brought in Tyron Matthew, but I think the most interesting aspect of I mean, it's still their secondary. I mean, what in the world? I mean, Kendall Fuller pretty solid last year, but I mean, what are, who are they running out there this year? Uh, Rashad Breeland, I think. And uh, what probably like Charverius Ward and, um, I don't even know who's playing for safety for them this year. Uh, it, it's it's slipping my mind right now. But like, how do you intro role? I think um, is who's going to be playing free safety. <laughs> Steve Jordan Spagnuolo Lucas. getting the band back together. Um, Corey Webster's <laughs> going to be playing some corner. Uh, who else? Prince Amikamara <laughs> is just subbing in there at the other corner spot. Justin Tuck is defensive line coach. Yeah, that's Ooh. actually these are all real facts that I'm I'm spewing right now. <laughs> But like we all know, like yeah, they're gonna be they're gonna be really solid up front, obviously with Chris Jones and 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 Clark. Um, but do we know I mean, that with well, Steve Spagnola? What was the last good defense he ran? How did they end up with Steve Spagnola? By the way, how did that happen? How do you have like such a terrible defensive coordinator in Sutton, and then you just end up with after all that to end up with him? It's kind of like the the Mike Pettin stuff and it's, it's the Green most Bay. like it's he's a football guy. Like it's he's you know that's how you know how that goes. Like in the NFL, like if you're a football guy, like oh you know, call up Steve. He's a football guy. Let's get God. Steve in. You know that's how that's how they roll, man. Oh, well, Steve's got a good eye for this stuff. Let's bring in Steve. Daniel Sorensen yeah, starting on this defense. He can be. I just, I, I think this defense is still going to be very bad. I just, I, will they get enough pressure to make it okay? And will they score enough for it not to matter? And I think that's probably right. And I'm just well, going to be like, happy to have Patrick Mahomes back in my life. A regression, right? Like they're pro- like they've got to come back to earth just a tad bit. But I mean, they're I obviously. I, I just trust offenses talented. more than I trust defenses. Like you saw with the Vikings that up and down, no matter how much talent you have, the defense can still dip. The offenses rarely dip. Like the Saints aren't dipping. The Pats aren't really dipping. Great offenses just don't dip. And I I don't think it's going to, if they regress, it's like from one to three. And I don't think right. that's going to be that True. crazy. Um, the Chargers, my pick to miss the playoffs this year um, to another team in this division. So why are the Chargers interesting for you besides the fact that they may not have enough players in their roster to play on opening day <laughs> um yeah the chargers are interesting because 
um, um, God, I'm I'm so boring. I'm so, like I love defensive line play so much. I gotta like just not look at defensive line play. But like them adding Jerry Tillery is nasty. Um, to to obviously to Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa. Uh, but I mean the most interesting thing is how is Philip Rivers alive with this uh, offensive line in front of him? There's He's never be, had a good uh, offensive line ever. Right, but but this is uh, this is particularly bad. I mean like. Pouncy, you've got Pouncy, but like Okung's gone. Is your, like it's probably your best, like lineman outside of Pouncy. Like it's that's not good. No, um, I don't know. And I'm good, and it's the reason they got you know like boat race in Foxborough. God, that game Absolutely. pissed me off so much. They missed their moment. I watched that game. I was be- I was right. beating the Chargers are the best roster in football last year, and I was like, they're my Super Bowl pick. This is happening. Rivers is getting his moment. I picked Chargers Saints before the season last year. Very close. The Pats can go fuck themselves for what they did in that game because all they did was the same. They just over target people. Like was this the wasn't this the game where James White got like seventeen targets out of the backfield and like Brady never went downfield ever. And they just, they just, well, you know, he had a couple of, uh, that was the, the year before or the, the, the regular season game before, um, which was the year before, uh, yeah, like 15 targets went to running backs and, but this game, they actually were really balanced. They, they, the Patriots really just took it to them. Um, and the pass rush but, just gave so Philip Rivers no time for anything yeah. to develop and all that kind of stuff. They ran so many twists and stunts. And I mean, <laughs> the, the guards, the guards were absolutely just like completely like spun around and like had like cartoon, like cartoon things coming out of their brains because they were so like twisted, twisted around and like just like dazed and confused. All right, well the Pats can go to hell. Um, the uh, wait, real quick, are you so are you were you team? We got to fix this playoff format thing. No, with, absolutely uh, not. There's no one complaining. This is not real. <laughs> Why are, like, no one's ever been like, you know what the playoffs are missing? Like, who's ever complained about the NFL playoffs? We all love the NFL playoffs. I know. Who complains? But, like, but there was a contingent last year of, of doing back-to-back road games. Do we remember when we got the Jaguars and the Bills on wildcard weekend? We don't need to. We don't need to give those teams more opportunities to get into the postseason. I don't want a seven and nine Raiders team maybe sneaking in there. God no. Uh. Yeah, I mean, so this new the new CBA. Here we go. We're gonna have we're gonna have uh, only one first round buy and uh, and run you know run it with uh, what seventeen playoff like seven seven squads from each uh, conference with only one first round buy on on each. I think it's the format no. we talked about. That's gross. No, so just gross. cut down the preseason, do the joint practices, and that's it. That's all you got to change. Yeah, they, you don't want don't want to miss out on that sweet sweet preseason revenue. God, um, the Denver Broncos, who I think are making the playoffs this year. What's interesting Ooh. to you about them? Mm-hmm. Wait, hold on. So I want to hear an interesting thing then. If 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 they're your playoff playoff squad, like sneaky so playoff team, they hired away Mike Munchak from Pittsburgh. The 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 Broncos a sneaky thing. We talk about the Chargers offensive line troubles. The Broncos have also never really had good offensive lines for years now. Joe Flacco, all these schemes that he gets put in that just don't work for him. He They surround him with the wrong kind of guys, wrong personnel. 
he's back where he had his best year of his career. Like the Kubiak disciple, the Kyle Shanahan system disciple. That's what they're running in Denver. They have Munchak, who I think is going to get a lot out of this offensive line. Uh, I think a lot of it's going to come down to what Garrett Bowles does because he's like 37 now. But if he's okay, if he's he's fine, then that's a huge thing for them. But Munchak, with what he did with that Pittsburgh offensive line, I think that was just a sneaky, huge thing. There's not a way for that defense not to be top five in defensive DVOA this year. Vic Fangio, death taxes, top five defenses. I think there is an easy roadmap to this team overachieving and going kind of 2018 Bearsy, where they just they win a lot of games. That they people are like, oh, the the Broncos are gonna make the playoffs. Oh, they're not bad. They're they're elite on. Uh, both sides of the ball um, in terms of offensive and defensive line play they get a great pass rush the secondary should be fine um, I think a lot of it comes down to the receivers and I, I have questions about Cortland Sutton and Sanders has come back from a torn Achilles and there are some weird things there but I love Deshaun Hamilton I think he'll probably get a lot of targets yeah. this year so I, yeah. I I just think this team is prime for a sleepy a sleeper breakout performance it's like a 10 like a sleepy 10 and 6 yes. like oh whoa Okay, so so Chase, you're changing hearts and minds here because I came into this conversation about the Broncos and I was kind of I was ready to be talked into one way or another um, because I've kind of been on the fence when, when I look at like them bringing in like a guy like Dalton Risner to this line. You've got Ron Leary, you've got Juwan James, you know, you've got pieces, and then obviously like Garrett Bowles. Um, we know about the, the defense, and I am a Deshaun Hamilton just like fanatic and. When you talk about bringing in Noah Fant, um, and then obviously the the Manny Sanders Achilles recovery from the heavens, um, I'm ready to be. I was ready to kind of be talked into the Broncos, and sir, you've you've changed hearts and minds here. I'm on board, and if okay. I could just go ahead and jump on right behind you on that bandwagon, I'm in. But my only fear is, what if it's just that one? You know, the team that on paper just feels, you know, that feels good, looks 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 good, and then it feels even better. Um, but there, you're right. There's talent kind of all over the place there. So, what does that make the most interesting? Like, who? So, what in what in of that is the most interesting aspect? Um, I think just what what this means for Joe Flacco. Like if they go 10 and six and he finds the scheme, they're like, oh, maybe Joe Flacco wasn't that bad. And if he was just in Gary Kubiak's scheme for eight years, we'd look at him differently. Like, I wonder what that does for his legacy and like what people think about him, what his perception is. I'm kind of, I'm kind of ready for that. I, I, I can, I can be here for that. Uh, I'm also here for Cortland Sutton, Cortland Sutton being better than folks think. I think he's like, I'm just going to sound stupid, um, but I might as well just rip off the take. Uh, like a poor man's Josh Gordon, um, where like mm. the numbers kind of like the numbers kind of line up like a John Brown from uh, from the EPA per target um, standpoint. Um, not super efficient, but like you know from a target standpoint, but from a touches like you know per touch uh, standpoint, he uh, he rips off big chunk plays when when you're getting them the ball downfield. Um, but like he doesn't have to be anything but that when you're looking at guys like Deshaun Hamilton and, and Manny Sanders being healthy and then Noah Fant uh, hopefully being just a, a killer. I think he can. I think he can jump in and, and contribute more than your standard uh, prototypical uh, rookie tight end. So I'm on board. Hey, I'm on board, man. Bradley Chubb and Von Miller with Vic Fangio is going to be a pain in the ass. 
Like, it's just Bryce Callahan was really good for the Bears. And guess who was the defensive coordinator there last year? Like, they brought him right. in. Chris Harris is there. Kareem Jackson, we'll see what he looks like. The safeties are interesting. Justin Simmons, guys like that. But I just I don't see a scenario where this defense isn't just a wrecking ball. This offensive line's good. Um, Rich Scangarnello, it's time. Time to unleash the Kyle Shanahan Fury. Shout out to Mitch <laughs> from Road Trip. Unleash the Fury, Rich. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm ready for it. Um, <laughs> our last team, who I'm not ready for because I'm going to avoid watching them as much as possible, the Oakland Raiders, what makes them interesting? Um, well, I mean, if you can't make a team interesting by doing a five-part, you know, behind-the-scenes training camp series on HBO, then, like, what can what can make your team interesting? Um, you know, Ask me how many episodes the- I watched. What's that? Ask me how many episodes I watched. How many episodes have you watched? Uh, Zero, because I don't care. It's not good. It's not good. You know what's good? Very Cavalier. Watch that. That's the best football show on television. (laughs) See, we we stand Bravo shows in this house. Uh, Mm. My wife does. So, like, apparently that's a show on E, correct? Yes. Yeah, see, we don't do the E in this house. We're a Bravo-only household in this house. Okay, all you have to do is expose her to one episode of Very Cavalier, and I think she might be on board. You know what? I did, and we we tried it. She didn't love it. And so maybe I'm something I'm going to have to do on my own. Or, or, and just hear me out, divorce. (laughs) I got to at least give the show a trial run first, but hey, you know. Judge, I gave her three chances to finish a full episode. I don't see how this still results in me paying half. I, I don't get it. How does she get half my stuff? <laughs> um, the answer to the question, any any question ever relating to the Oakland Raiders is Mohurst uh, is the only reason to ever care about the Raiders because Maurice Hurst is on his way to being the next Michael Jordan of the NFL um, the next what? transcendent, yes, the next transcendent athlete of our generation. What is happening? Yes. I, I don't know if you're being facetious or, or I, not I love right now. Hurst. I love Mohurst, and I hate, I hate what the what the heart murmur thing did to his draft stock, and I feel terrible about it. And I'm going to stand it until it can't stand no more. Okay. Sure. Did not expect you to go there. You know what? I'm the, the most interesting thing <laughs> is just. Derek Carr already is captain checkdown, right? This offensive line, they still have they still employ Tom Cable. They paid your guy, Trent Brown, a bunch of money. Way too much money. Colton Miller's on the other side of the offensive line. I don't see a scenario where this offensive line is still not trash. Like, does Josh Jacobs find holes behind this offensive line? Right. Can he survive it? Does Antonio Brown get enough time to get open? Does Tyrell Williams get enough time? Does JJ Nelson like Hunter Renfro, like, does Derek Carr just see ghosts immediately? Does it just it implode right away? Because I I don't know, man. Like, that offensive line, well, I think, is just going to doom yeah, them immediately. Right. Like, I think their starting guards are Jordan Devy and Denzel Good. So, that is not good. This is great radio. No, it's, it's not good. Um, but their defense, I think, will be good. I like their defensive line. I think they'll get more pressure. The Burfitt, whatever. But I like their secondary a lot. I like LaMarcus Joyner. I like Carl Joseph. The Jonathan Abram pick will probably be good for them. Keanu Neal vibes a little bit there. Um, Gary and Conley's good. I I don't know. 
we'll see what Trayvon Mullen looks like. I think the secondary is going to or Darren Conley, right? Yeah, and I think they'll. I think that will be the strength of that defense, and I wonder what that looks like and how much better they can be in 2019. Because I don't think the pass rush is still going to be all that elite. But no, this is the worst team in the AFC West. I think still just because they they can't get better really all that much because that offensive line is still just going to be a train wreck. Like, what is their over under win total right now? Like six and a half or like yeah, five know. and a half? It's a good question. I can't imagine they would win more than five games. I think if they went six this season was a huge success. Okay, it's got to be five and a half then, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's where I would set. I guess, yeah. If, if we, if we, if we are the sharks, we're setting it at five and a half. Yeah, you're right. Um, I'm not gonna look. I don't care. I'm not gonna look. Um, all right. There's the AFC. Who do you have winning it? Uh, the New England Patriots. God damn it. God damn. It. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Um, but I really do like the Ravens um, mm. as well. And and a lot of this comes from just my just a curious amount of love for Marlon Humphrey. Uh, Humphrey. Um, I think he is just insanely, insanely good. And I also have a weird thing for their front seven and Matthew Judon. So um, go Ravens, I guess, until the playoffs. I have Steelers. Saints this year. Yeah, see, I feel like the are, are the Steelers like a sexy pick right now, or, or is it just like I feel because I I can kind of get on board with them. It but... depends on how their playoff matchups work. If they get the Chiefs, they're doomed because I don't think they they'll be able to score enough to hang with the Chiefs. Right, but they get the Pats at home. They can beat the Pats at home. They can knock off the Pats at home. They can. And I think, like, it's not, like, it's completely not going to matter what we see on Sunday night this weekend compared no. to, like, what that situation would be. But, I mean, to see the Steelers front seven right now fully healthy and we're going to see what Devin Bush can do. Like, Devin Bush is a game, it's going, it's going to be the game changer. It's going to be the Darius Leonard again. We talked about it for this defense. And it's going to be like, oh, my God, that defense is fast. When, when's the last time you thought to yourself that Steelers defense looks fast, man? Wow, they are really collapsing to the ball carrier. Um, he, he's going to be that kind of guy that uh, that kind of force for them. I think I can get on board with them. I just, I just, I just love the Ravens so much. I don't know what it is. It's one of those weird things for me. Okay. All right. Well, is there anything we should check out from you from patsbulbit.com this week? Uh, I'm just going to be doing the video content. We got a ton of guys doing the breakdowns um, this week. Uh, I should have a, a video up on the Facebook live stream. We're trying to get the rights back to our YouTube page. That's mm. the whole thing. Um, it's a okay. super old, like super old YouTube page. I'm going to see if I can kickstart, kick the dust off of and get that thing going up again this year, but we'll be doing all the, uh, all the video content, um, and breakdowns after each game and doing previews each week. So it should be fun. All right. Go do that. Brian, always a pleasure, sir. Um, I will talk to you soon. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me on. Right, we're back on the Chase Summons podcast. Old friend John Taylor of Sports Illustrated is on the line. John, good evening, sir. How are you doing? I am doing quite well. How about yourself? I am 
I'm good. Um, it's kind of amazing that this baseball season is almost over. Um, Braves and national Twitter is in a really weird war about who's been better. Um, and like Braves fans just annoyed that the national's Twitter account is um, really pumping them being the best team in baseball since like May 24th. And the Braves are like, the season starts in the first week of April and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's a really weird, cringy back and forth that I'm not here for. Yeah, although I'm not going to lie, like, that is kind of a scoreboard thing where it's like, yeah, the Nationals have been great since May 24th, but the Braves, or Braves fans, I guess, do have a point where it's like, yeah, the season, every day of the season counts. Like, you know, the one team is in first place and the other team is in second place. And I feel like by default, the team in first place is the better team. But I mean, I guess it doesn't matter. They're both really good. Like, right. You know, I just. Yeah, that's just stupid, but whatever. Both are good. And yes, the Nationals should be punished in this ca- this conversation for getting off to a terrible start. And um, they, they're they just finally playing up to what we all thought they were talent-wise. Um, I, it just, it's, it's just silly. They're both good, and we'll see what happens. Um, but we're not going to talk about the Nationals or the Braves today. We're going to talk about something even more niche, even more granular to start off. The Luke Voigt trade, um, there was a good piece in MLBTradeRumors.com by Steve Adams today that I read through, and I'd forgotten about the Luke Voigt trade and what all um, was in it, and um, Jason Shreve, who sounds like a, a villain of some sorts, but I, I'm, I'm here for it. Um, he was in the deal, and then you have Giovanni Galagos, Galagos? Gallegos. And... Gallegos and um he he's part of this now and you look at just the different guys in and out of this deal and now he has a 2.19 ERA 11.8 Ks per nine he's been really good um his swinging strike rate is on par with Max Scherzer it's no longer a just a huge home run um to say the least and I think it's interesting how trades we just we always get into who won the trade right away and then um, a year and a half later, uh, you're like, oh, well, actually, you need to let things settle down. You need to reevaluate months down the line because a lot of these trades we really just don't know um, for months or even years. Yeah, and here's the thing for me with the whole Luke Voigt trade. Because when it happened at the time, everyone kind of assumed it was a nothing. I think the biggest name in that trade at the time, was that the, was that the same one as the Adam Warren trade? That wasn't the, the same one as the Adam Warren trade, was it? It was just, it was just Voight and, or just, sorry, it was Shreve and Gallegos just for Voight, right? And I, I believe so. And I think maybe some international, yeah, some international bonus slot money. And no one in that trade, I remember, I remember Yankees fans complaining that why are we giving away pitchers, especially a, well, I guess I don't think any Yankees fan actually liked Chase and Shreve, but it's like, why are we giving away pitchers when we need pitching? to get like a third string first baseman and some international slot bonus money. It's just because I think it, it happened around the same time that they traded Adam Warren to either the Cubs or the Mariners. Adam Warren's been traded like 60 times in the last three years. Um, so I remember there was a lot of complaining that Brian Cashman was basically just trying to, you know, save money. No one, I think really thought at the moment that that trade was going to be anything for anyone. And then Voight hits like, 15 home runs in 40 games or whatever it was and suddenly turns into something and not only turns into something, but turns into something where I imagine Cubs fans are like, how, why did you make this trade? What a terrible trade. All we got out of a, you know, 
30 home run first baseman or someone on pace at that is, you know, a lefty specialist and a guy in Gallegos who is at that point just another dude. You know, there's nothing special about him. Which to me, it's like, okay, true. Like, you gave up something that turned into an asset for two guys who at the time looked like they weren't assets. But then one Gallegos actually turns into an asset, albeit one that, you know, there's really very few ways a reliever can be more valuable than a first baseman who hits as well as Luke Voigt does. So, you know, regardless. But at the same time, it's like, it's not as if the Cardinals traded away the version of Luke Voigt that had hit like 15 home runs in 40 games. They traded away a version of Luke Voigt that was like buried on their depth chart, hadn't really produced except in short spurts, didn't really look like he was going to be anything other than just kind of a, a depth piece for a contending team. So, and there, there are two ways I guess you can look at that. One is that that's a sign of how good the Yankees are at identifying guys who with a change or with the right coaching approach or whatever it is that they did with Voight, because I don't think anyone's actually really pointed out exactly what happened, um, that they can turn those guys into useful, if not above average major leaguers. And you've seen that this year with Gio Rochella, with Mike Talkman. You know, they're very good at doing that. So on the one hand, you know, this version of Luke Voigt was probably never going to exist uh, with the Cardinals. On the other well, hand, that's the important thing, right? So you don't think he would have been this kind of player? No, and and they, and that's the thing. Like sometimes, sometimes players have like I, I think I look at the Luke or the the Luke Voigt trade the same way I look at how uh, the Red Sox did the the Travis Shaw deal, the one that sent Travis Shaw and Mauricio Dubon to Milwaukee for Tyler Thornburg, which was a disaster of a trade for the Red Sox um, because Shaw ended up having a really good 2018. Uh, Dubon is a pretty nice prospect now for the Giants, and Thornburg basically didn't pitch at all in Boston because he got hurt. But, you know, and it's easy to look at that trade and say, oh, what were the Red Sox doing giving away Travis Shaw for a hurt reliever? One, Thornburg was a really good reliever who got hurt. I mean, argue all you want about Dave Dombrowski overvaluing a reliever or betting on the flukiest, you know, production in terms of, you know, across the player spectrum. That's, I mean, that's a valid complaint, but that's kind of separate. I think the thing is, and I think a couple of people have written about it on the Red Sox beat, that the Travis Shaw who exists in Milwaukee was never going to exist in Boston because he needed a different approach. He needed, and sometimes I think that just happens. Sometimes I think guys just need a change. They need to go to a different organization. They need to hear different voices. They need to be, and I think for some guys, a trade is also kind of like, I don't want to say like it's a wake-up call because I don't want to imply that Shaw or Voight, you know, were loafing or whatever with their old teams and like, but I do think there's an element of it. It can kind of be like a jolt of like, holy crap, like I'm with a new team. Like I've got to, you know, I've got to do something basically. So, yeah, I, I don't think this void would have existed with St. Louis. And the, there are two ways you can look at that. One is that the Yankees are really good at, you know, like I said before, taking guys like Voight and Urshela and turning them into, you know, above average major leaguers. And the other is Cardinals fans can be angry that St. Louis couldn't figure out how to make them. Uh, Voight that hitter and that's a totally valid thing because I think this is something the Cardinals have struggled with I think Colton Wong is the perfect example of a guy who should be a lot better than he is and is instead just kind of an inconsistent like you know who's an inconsistent dude who has a lot of tools but doesn't really they don't really come together um, and I think you, you, there are other guys on the Cardinals who are kind of like that Harrison Bader Jose Martinez um, I would say Marcelo Zuna to a certain degree but I've not sure if that I, regardless i think the cardinals are just when it comes to like major league like major league developed player development 
they don't seem to be, and I admittedly know nothing about how their front office works or how they do this, but just based purely on the results they get, the, the current regime doesn't seem to be all that great about getting the most out of the players on their roster that, that, they, that they can. So in that sense, you know, yeah, you can you can crap all over the Luke Boyd trade because they traded away a guy who if maybe they took a different approach or, you know, or, or you know, saw something different. You know, they would have had, you know, not just not only would they would have had, you know, a, a top flight first baseman, but then they don't have to give up um, Carson Kelly and who was the pitcher they traded in the Paul Goldschmidt deal. Because um, it's not Jack. Oh, God. Dakota, not Dakota Hudson. This is going to escape Ooh, me, but uh, Luke Weaver. There it is. Um, okay. Yeah, but it's, sifting through Cardinals prospects is a fun brain exercise because you just there, there's a billion of them. Um, you know, they. I mean, granted, like it wasn't a bad decision to trade for Paul Goldschmidt, but you know, you could have had someone who produced you know 85 percent of what Goldschmidt did for you know 15 percent of the price, basically. But um, I guess, but I mean, I. I this is more about Gallegos though. And it, but I guess there, there is, there is the, the kind of counter, I guess, to that is that, well, the Cardinals didn't figure out Luke Boyd, but they certainly seem to have figured out Gallegos. Cause again, that's a guy who really wasn't much of anything in the Yankee system. Um, you look at his numbers from, from even just, you know, 20, uh, even just 2018. Cause I don't, I don't know if he actually pitched, he, he pitched a little bit in 2017 with the Yankees, but not a, not a terribly huge amount. Um, but, you know, he threw, he throws, or still throws, 94 is a slider. You know, he's just kind of a guy, and he never really got crazy results in New York. But now, especially you look at his numbers, the slider in particular has become a real weapon for him. Um, and you look at the kind of numbers behind that slider, and it really looks like, you know, he's got, he has that pitch moving a lot more. Like, it's, it's got a lot of, um, it's got a lot of, um, it's a little bit more horizontal movement. It's got a little bit more, I think, vertical movement than usual. It's interesting. I don't, again, I don't know what's behind that. You know, I'd have to go, or someone would have to go talk to Gallegos and see if that's something the Cardinals kind of, you know, reshaped the slider a little bit or, or, or did something with that. But I guess now you have both ends of that trade as proof. that Sometimes it just takes a little time to kind of unlock guys, or sometimes there's, you know, something in these dudes you see and need to figure out. Cause like, but I, I think I agree with your general points. Like it, I, we have to do it as a, as a matter of writing about trades. You know, you have to pick your winner and your loser and who did better and who, but like baseball, especially there's so many of these trades. You, you can't really evaluate them the moment they happen. You have to wait, you know, a trade that looked like a lopsided victory for the Yankees now looks a little better for the Cardinals, you know? So, but that's, that's just, again, that's the nature of, the nature of the beast of writing about baseball though is that you know readers want to know right then and there like okay what what do i what should i think about this trade which is hard sometimes i'm jealous of nba writers because every trade in the nba involves like active players who are already like in the nba and so you, you already know pretty much what they are to a certain degree and baseball it's a, baseball feels like it's a lot well, more kind of projecting the future to an extent, I mean the, the the problem still with NBA projections on trades is um, 
the picks, like all the different pick swaps and pick protections. And you're like, well, we have to look at 2023 if this team, because you're betting on all these different timelines, like that's the new normal with all these different pick protections where it's like, we're, we're getting this guy now. We're giving up this pick um, because we believe that this team's going to be in this place in their timeline in 2022. Well, and I that should... way the pick won't be worthwhile. And it's just, it's, it's different, different kind of projections. Yeah, and and I should also note, you're right about that, and I should also note that obviously the NBA also has the factor that how a guy fits within a team, within an offensive scheme, within a defensive scheme, you know, that changes obviously from team to team, from, you know, from teammate to teammate, so that, and that's not really something you worry about too much in baseball because, you know, a good pitcher is going to more likely to not be a good pitcher from one team to another because if, if his stuff is good, it doesn't really matter. Well, I guess, the defense behind it matters a bit, but you know, it doesn't matter what mound he's necessarily standing on. Whereas in basketball, it obviously matters, you know, who's next to him on the floor at any given time. But um, regardless, I, I, I agree with what you said kind of the start. I do think there's an element of kind of evaluating trades. And I think this is a good example where it's like, you, you do have to wait because things can change. And guys like, I mean, like a guy like Voight immediately went from, you know, anonymous dude who isn't Matt Adams, you know, to, all of a sudden being one of the best slugging first baseman in baseball. And then the flip side is Gallegos went from being just another dude to being probably, I think the Cardinals best reliever at the moment. Um, and uh, really, which is a really big thing for them because, you know, their bullpen. Otherwise, I mean, Andrew, like they lost, uh, they lost Jordan Hicks. Andrew Miller hasn't been particularly good. John Gantz has been kind of slow in the second half. You know, there's, they've kind of needed Gallegos to be, you know, to be what he is. And so that's, that's, that's the thing. Trades, Trades take time to evaluate, so this is this is a good example of that that exact scenario. Um, in more somber news, um, the Cleveland Indians lost Tyler Naquin. Naquin? How do we pronounce this dude's last name? I, I think it's, forget how to I think it's Naquin. Naquin. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. Um, does it matter for their late season push? Uh, I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't because I mean he was having a perfectly fine season. You know, average by OPS plus, he's a pretty good defender. You know, he, he's he's got some speed. You know, you could do worse than having Tyler Naquin be, I, I mean, I prefer him as a bench bat, but you could do worse than having him as a regular. I think the problem for the Indians is that the outfield has really just been a constant serious issue for them that they really have not figured out, you know, kind of, they have not solidified that group. Um, they should you know, sign Michael Brantley. <laughs> letting him go not not really one of their best decisions but you know they've got you know they, they tried leonis martin that didn't work they tried carlos gonzalez that didn't work they tried you know they've they've had to use guys like greg allen um and mike freeman oh, i guess freeman plays more in the infield but i think he plays a little bit outfield too you know jordan Luplow weirdly has been their best outfielder which i'm pretty sure nobody saw coming uh jake bauer is also a guy they tried who had some prospect pedigree that didn't work uh, Yasiel Puig, since coming to Cleveland, hasn't really hit and really is not much of a good defender anymore at this point in his career. Oscar Mercado hit a little bit to start, kind of a Naquin light right now in terms of what he offers you in terms of skill set. But so it, it matters if only because he was at least competent. And the Indians don't really have even that much around the outfield. I mean, what what their outfield right now, just looking at their their regular defensive lineups, uh, since Naquin went down, because he was the starting center or the starting right fielder, rather, or not. Well, he kind of moved. He moved between left and right. Well, <clears throat> yeah, he moved between left and right 
Um, but since he's gone down, they've used Greg Allen, they've used Jake Bowers, they've used Jordan Luplo. Those aren't really guys you want to be using in a pennant or in a, in a division title race. Um, none of them really can hit. I guess Luplo can hit a little bit. Um, you know, Allen is a good defender, but it, it hurts just because again, this is this is the kind of one of the major areas of of problems, a major problem area for Cleveland. And they don't, and of course it's too late now to figure out, to get a, to figure out an additional solution. It's too late now to get a reinforcement of any kind, unless they have some super outfielder they're hiding in AAA that they haven't told anyone about. Um, so it, it hurts, you know, it's obviously not a, it's obviously nowhere near the same pain as losing Jose Ramirez. That was an absolutely brutal blow that probably is going to cost them the division, but it definitely, it's, it's definitely not welcome. And I think it just kind of exposes, and this is something that's been the case for Cleveland since the offseason. The outfield was a big problem for them last year, aside from Brantley, and they didn't really do anything about it. And now, you know, the, 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 the thin depth that they had, not just thin, but kind of not very good, it's kind of coming back to bite them because, you know, you know, a, a guy like Naquin, again, he fills a hole. And now there's a hole there that they don't really have an ability to fill. And so they're what? They're six and a half games out with about 25 games left in the season in the division, that's going to be really tough to close that hole. Um, and I mean, wildcard wise, they're in, you know, they're tied with the A's for the second spot. They're, you know, both a game behind Tampa base there and Boston is five and a half out. So they're in, pre- they're in pretty good shape there, but at the same time, like now, you know, they're a slightly worse team now. And that, you know, there's no real way to spin that as a positive. How excited is um, Rob Manfred about uh, an Oakland A's Tampa Bay Rays wild card game in the AL? Oh boy, especially in Tampa, no less. That's oh my god. Yeah, it'll be a good yeah. game. Like yeah, it'll be, it'll be those great, two teams, like they're yeah. Charlie Morton against. I would imagine Sean Manea. If Manea stays healthy, that's pretty good. Those teams can both hit a little bit. It just it stinks. Chris that, Davis though. It stinks, and my, my apologies to any and all Rays fans who listen to this. It stinks that, that they would have to have that game in Tampa if Tampa wins the first wild card. Like, Tropicana Field. I think simply... Tampa fans admit that, though, right? Like, if you're a Rays fan, you're not like, hey, don't talk shit about Tropicana Field. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's the one thing that they all can agree. Because, like, I've, I've written a few times about the Rays stadium follies, and I think the one thing that they've all kind of, you know, the one thing I've heard from them is, like, yeah, Tropicana Field sucks. And it's just, uh, it, it's such a, it's such a sad thing because, like, I genuinely, I like the Rays insofar as, like, they're a smart team with good players. They should spend more, and they can spend more, and that's something that should never really be, like, you know, let go of, the fact that they they choose the budget they have. But it really does stink for them that, like, Tropicana is just a problem without a solution at this point. And I don't know I don't know if the two of us talked about the... the utterly stupid Montreal solution that they were throwing out there, <laughs> which is not remotely realistic. You know, it's, it's absolute nonsense. It just, it sucks that they they just don't like, that is the best option they could think of or not that they could think of. It's clearly it's, it's an attempt to extort the city of Tampa into building a stadium, but it sucks. I guess they say it sucks to the fans that that is what, the, that's the best the franchise can do is say, well, why don't we just put the season with Montreal? And if you're a Rays fan, you're just sitting there going, what's the point of this anymore? Like, you know, this this team is just never going to be able to, you know, 
operate like a functional major league franchise because we we're stuck playing in a Tupperware stadium that is awful and nobody wants to go to and it's terribly located and our team doesn't want to pay for its own stadium and doesn't want to pay for anything at that, you know, for that matter. So I, I feel bad for Ray's fans in that regard. They deserve better. They deserve better than what they get. And certainly, you know, I, I can, like you said, I can already imagine how thrilled Rob Manfred is at the idea of two of the cheapest franchises in baseball playing in the worst stadium in baseball in the one game, you know, winner go home playoff. That's, that's MLB's dream right there is, 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 is playoff baseball in Tampa Bay. You hate to see it, but you know who doesn't hate to see it? Dick Vitale, who will be shown 19 times at that game. Oh, my God. I think he's the only... What other celebrity Rays fans are there? Are there any? There was John Cena when he was living in the area. I think he still lives over there. I haven't seen him being pictured at the games recently. So it, okay. was, it was him, Dick Vitale. Okay. Is that it? I'm trying to think of anyone else I remember off the top of I my mean, head. I mean, you, you, you could honestly name, you could name almost anyone you wanted to, and I would probably believe you. That's the thing. Like, I, I, that's I, don't, I don't even know who Tampa celebrities are. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's, I've run out of options there, folks. Um, wow. Billy Epler got an extension from the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Do you think he earned that extension? We haven't talked about Epler just because he walked into a bad situation. Has he made it objectively better to the point where you, if you're an Angels fan, you're looking at the the future three to five years out and you're like, this is the guy I want leading our front office. He walked into a bad situation, but he hasn't really made it like appreciably all that much better. Um, Right. I think if there's like, obviously you you can give Epler credit for getting Trout to sign an extension. I think that that is worth something. I don't know how much work he had to do to make that happen. Or if that was just Trout saying, no, I want to stay here. I don't care. You know, I I like being an angel. Let's just do that. But I'll, I'll, I will, I will put that one in his win column because he convinced the best player in baseball to remain a Los Angeles angel. Good job, Billy Epler. He also signed Shohei Otani. And I'm not a hundred percent sure. Again, I don't know how much of that is Shohei Otani kind of fell into their lap because, you know, he really wanted to play in Los Angeles, but he didn't want to be a Dodger versus, you know, how much they sold him on the organization. But again, regardless, they had to do some work. They had to convince him. He signed their, I will give him a point for Shohei Otani, too. The rest I'm not terribly sure about. They have a decent farm system that is slowly improving. They have Joe Adele, who will be in the majors next year. They have Griffin Canning, who had a very good rookie season before he got before his elbow started barking. Uh, Luis Rangifo, actually, has been a pretty good piece for them um, as kind of just a utility infielder type. You know, they have a, they have a little bit of help in that farm system. The problem I've found with the Angels is that every major league signing they make is by and large a disaster because either they are just really bad at professional major league talent evaluation or, well, there's not really an or. That, that's, one end of it is possible that they just kind of suck at this, that they just, you know, they don't know how to identify guys. Like, it's the opposite of the Yankees who always find the undervalued guys that they can kind of coach up. The Angels don't find those dudes. Tommy Listella, I think, was the one exception, and then he got hurt. But, you know, I'll still count that as a, as a, it's called a half a win. But, like, you know, on the other hand, you have guys like 
Justin Bohr, Zach Cozart, uh, Matt Harvey, uh, Trevor Cahill, Cody Allen. Like, the sad thing is I could go on for a while with these dudes. Like, they throw a lot of money at mediocre at best. Jonathan Lucre is another, mediocre at best players. And it, it's one thing to throw a lot of money at, like, guys who were once, like, real, like, I guess, like, Harvey Counts Network. But it's one thing to do, like, what they did when they gave Albert Pujols a billion dollars, basically. And that, and that blew up in their face. But the thing that they do that I think is, is, is what, makes, what makes them such kind of a frustrating franchise and what I think kind of blunts my appreciation of Epler and makes me think that maybe he's not the right guy for this. But again, and I'll, but maybe this isn't his fault, and I'll get into that in a bit. Playing around in the cheap end of the free agency pool is a really good way to end up with mediocre at best players. Like, it really should not be a surprise that if you're constantly shopping in the bargain bin, you're going to get duds. Like, there was no real reason to expect that Matt Harvey and Trevor Cahill and Cody Allen and, jo- and Justin Bourne and Jonathan Lucroy Lucro were going to be anything other than okay. They, they really had not, no one in that group, with the possible exception of Cahill, had really done anything in the last couple of years to suggest they were anything other than, like, you know, second division starters who were going to give you, like, an average at best season. But the Angels signed them anyway because they were cheap. You know, none of those guys cost more than, I believe, like $15 million or, you know, somewhere in that 10 to 15 million range. But what's the point of doing that? Those guys aren't going to help. Like when you have a roster with Mike Trout, you just, you should go harder to get players who are actually going to make a difference. And and this is where, and when I said I was going to mention something later, this is what I mean. I don't know how much that is Billy Epler and his front office targeting these guys. And I don't know how much of that is Artie Moreno telling them, this is your budget. It's a low budget. Make the best of it. You know, I don't know how much of this is, you know, because we have to pay. I would lean the latter based on Epler's background. I would lean the latter. And that's what I would guess, because I think the Pujols contract has kind of spooked them, not just Pujols, but also the Josh Hamilton contract. I think spooked them out of playing in the, in the deep end of the free agent market kind of for good. Because Moreno, I mean, Moreno, as you saw with those two contracts, he used to be a guy who would approve big expenditures. And we haven't really seen that from the angels in quite a long time. You know, I, I think, the, the Trout extension obviously was a really big um, was a really big contract, but one, it's literally Mike Trout, and two, they could have paid him twice as much, and he still would be worth it. You know, they're getting a discount at four hundred fifty million dollars. Um, I guess Justin Upton too was a relatively big expenditure, but he also, I mean, he's he was good last year, but he's been hurt this year, and he hasn't really produced much. And now he's you know he's thirty one, he's heading towards the the kind of downhill portion of his career. But I, I think and. If that's the case, then so be it. Maybe Epler just has to work with a, a diminished budget and just has to kind of scrounge around alongside the A's and the Rays for the kind of, you know, the cheaper free agents. But why aren't they getting the kind of results the A's and Rays get when they sign? Like, the Rays signed Charlie Morton for $30 million, you know, as much as Cahill and Harvey cost combined, and he's a Cy Young candidate. You know, that's not... And granted, there's some... There are obviously, like, the Angels were never going to sign Charlie Morton. Charlie Morton didn't want to play in California. He wanted to be closer to his family in Florida. But just as an example, like, the A's and Rays make smart, cheap signings. You know, you can argue that they should spend more money, and they could, but when they, you know, based on whatever budget they have, they use their money effectively and wisely. The Angels don't. The Angels don't spend money well when they spend a lot of it, and they don't spend money well when they spend a little bit of it. And so that, to me, that to me suggests that something about... I feel like the White Sox are kind of similar. That both teams are just kind of not very good at identifying which actual veterans are useful to them. 
and which guys are just clearly like there was no reason to sign Matt Harvey this offseason. Matt Harvey is washed up beyond belief, you know? Nothing, zero about his 2018 season suggested any reason that you should give him a shot in anything other than like a minor league contract or like a, a non roster with a non roster invite to spring training. And yet the Angels gave him what, ten, twelve million dollars guaranteed? Why did they do that? There was no reason to do that. You know, it's just it's just the it's that kind of like the same thing with Zach Kozar when they gave him like a three year like thirty nine million dollar deal. It's like why are you doing that? That Zach Kozar before becoming an Angel had put together exactly one above average offensive season in seven years in the majors. Why are you giving him that much money? Like, why, why are you just going to believe that all of a sudden at age 31, he's, he is now a different player. Like maybe that, maybe they saw something that suggested, Oh, Zach Kozar, it's a different, better player. Now more likely than not, it's, it's closer to a fluke. You know, you have a longer track record suggesting that Zach Kozar is just a, a utility infielder who can swing the bat a little bit than all of a sudden being a guy who is a 140 OPS plus and is a 25 home run a year hitter. And granted, like they ran into some bad luck with that too, because he got hurt and really just is not healthy anymore. But again, it, it's just something where it's like, you look back at the decisions the angels have made in free agency and the guys they've signed and the guys they've targeted, and none of them have worked out. And that to me suggests that whatever, like the, that the angels, like, front office just isn't really doing a good job of identifying the right guys or or as or as identify guys they like but is not able to unlock whatever it is they think needs to happen to make like they don't have that Yankee style ability to get a guy like a Gio Urshela and, and coach him up. And I don't know I don't know how much of that you could blame on Epler, but certainly there's not a whole lot in his at least free agent track record over the last how long has he been in charge of that team? Three years now? Is this his third I think this is hell? year three. There's he not, had like two years of Socha, right? Like yeah. He didn't fire him immediately. And, and that, yeah, I'm pretty that sure was, this is year three. That was its own weird thing too. There, um, the little like contratemps between him and Socha that was strange. Um, so yeah, Epler's been in charge since the 2015 offseason. Actually, he's been there for quite a bit. Um, and I, I forgot to mention Andrelton Simmons. That was that trade looked like a pretty big overpay at the time because um, he had to give up. That was well. Hold on, Sean Newcomb just. Lights out in Atlanta. Um, and that turned out, that's actually turned out to be a really good trade for the Angels because Newcomb just is not what he was supposed to be. But no. at least when it comes to the free agent track record isn't very strong. Um, I'm not a draft guy, so I can't with any real, you know, confidence talk about their drafts and whether or not they've done a good job. But most, most evaluators consider their farm system to be, you know, bottom half of the league, you know, somewhere in that kind of 15 to 20 range which is fine. It was way worse. Like five years ago, they've done a pretty good job of building it up. And again, Joe Adele is going to be a, a very nice piece for them next year, but it's kind of a mixed track record overall. I'm, I'm I can see why the angels want to, you know, why would they rock the boat? I guess, but I don't know. It just, to me, the thing with the angels is, you know, they were gifted Willie Mays 2.0. And so far they have thoroughly, thoroughly wasted that gift. And you almost maybe Billy Epler can do better this offseason but again i'm not i'm not holding my breath you almost want to see someone with like a, like an innovative forward thinking like aggressive general manager take over that team and really try to build a core around around trout and otani and and, and around joe adele that can compete now because the angels are just really bad at doing that and 
you know, that, that kind of, like I guess that kind of blunts my, my enthusiasm for Epler overall. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. If you had to guess, are the Angels a playoff team in the next three seasons? That's tough. I mean, a lot is going to depend on what they do. I mean, here's the other thing, like, and, and obviously this is not, you know, this is not Billy Epler's fault, but you know, the, the pitching staff being what it is with the death of Tyler Skaggs, um, the kind of with Garrett Richards never really getting healthy and now being gone. Um, they really, they, that's going to be, that's the biggest key I think to between, or that, that's going to determine whether or not they're a playoff team is what they do about their pitching. They're going to have canning their rotation next year. will have Griffin canning and Andrew Haney, probably Jaime Berea, maybe Jose Suarez, you know, they have you know, Patrick Sandoval might be a guy in there. They have a few, a few kind of intriguing young arms, but there's certainly Canning. I think Canning and Haney are the only two guys that we feel even remotely comfortable being like, okay, yeah, these guys are establishable major leaguers. They really need to add depth. And I think they should be big players for Garrett Cole. You know, I, I think they make a lot of sense for him. Um, I mean, every lots of teams make sense for Garrett Cole, but I think them that they need a front they need a front of the rotation pitcher. They need a guy who can just go out there and give them a guaranteed seven innings every you know every fifth night and just you know be that guy. Um, if not that, then they they need to do whatever 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 reports they got on Cahill and Harvey that convinced them to sign them need to tear those up and fire whoever put them together and go in a totally different direction this offseason. Either you do Garrett Cole or you do something different, but like. That to me is going to be the biggest, the biggest kind of factor in whether or not they're contenders. They need to build up that pitching staff because the lineup is is pretty good, honestly. Between Trout, Otani, Adele, uh, Simmons, David Fletcher is a pretty useful piece. Luis Rangifo, you know, the corpse of Pujols has actually been roughly league average. Um, you know, Cole Calhoun has been better. I, I imagine Justin Upton, if he's fully healthy next year, will be better. You know they have pieces in that lineup that they can they can hit enough to keep them in ball games. The problem is going to be, and not just the rotation too. They gotta they gotta get a little bit of bullpen help too because they're you know Hansel Robles has been weirdly great for them and Ty Butchery has been very solid, but they don't have a whole lot behind them. But Dylan Peters is another guy I should have mentioned as a as a starter. You know they can they could have next year, but they can't go into next season with like a rotation that's basically Haney Canning and then a, a smattering of like you know young dudes. They need established dependable major league pitchers before I can really sit back. And, and like, the other thing is like the, the AL West is going to be so tough for them because they have the Astros and the A's in front of them. You know, that's to me, like, and this is kind of a little bit of a tangent, but I think what kind of hurts their postseason chances at the American league, the American league West is a division. It's like the AL East with the, the Rays with the AL East. It's really hard to win when you have two teams in front of you that are really good. And like the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Angels have that and the Astros and the A's. And the hard part for them is that the wild card is the third best, the second and third best teams in the AL East, second best team in the AL Central. And then them, you know, it's two spots for minimum four teams. Um, and possibly more if, you know, if the, uh, I was going to say if the, well, I guess if the Rangers, because the Rangers could theoretically, could conceivably be contenders next year. I was going to say the Mariners, and I stopped myself because that's ludicrous. Um, it could be as many as five teams competing for two wildcard spots next year. And that's really tough for the Angels, too. They've got, they've got a, a lot of obstacles in the way between them and a playoff spot, just in terms of the other teams. 
much less, you know, what's on their roster and what improvements they need to make. So if they have a good offseason, if they sign Cole or if they at least sign some non-Matt Harvey pitchers, but like I feel like that's always the thing with the Angels. Every year we come into the into our preseason preview and we're always like, oh, the Angels could be dark horse contenders. They got Trout. They've, you know, they've added some pieces and it never happens. And so at a certain point, it's like, well, I kind of need to see an actual season's worth of good results from them before I start to feel like, okay, this is a playoff team now. I would recommend starting by signing Garrett Cole um, this winter. That would be, that'd be a good start. Um, we should be GMs because it's, it's <laughs> sign Garrett Cole is just some real like advanced genius work on both of our parts. It's like, if you have the money, go sign Garrett Cole and your team will be better. Yes, I would agree. Um, last thing and then we'll go. Um, Gavin Lux, another Dodgers potential superstar, right? Like, uh, he just, he has the right name, the right look. What do you, what do we, what do we know about Gavin Lux? What do we know about Gavin Lux? Well, his name is, I just, I love that name for Star Wars. It's like absurdly, right. stupidly Star Wars. It's it's not just Star Wars, but it's like. Oh, you went that way. Yeah, I went it, it, like Texas high school quarterback legend, Gavin yeah, Lux. It's like that's really, a Friday Night Lights character. Really, really good college football quarterback name. But to me, Gavin Lux just right. screams like pilot in Rogue Squadron. You know, like it's it's a real like fighter pilot Star Wars name. Um, the first round pick got a two million dollar signing bonus. One of the better, if not you know, one of the better players coming out of Wisconsin in a while. Which Wisconsin having a moment between Gavin Lux and Jared Kalenic, really uh really throwing out some some pros some top prospects. So he's he's had there the pedigree. Go. Christian Yelich changing everything. He's had the pedigree and he's produced. Um, and he like you said, he lit up Triple A. So. It, it's just fun to me how the, how the Dodgers just so consistently produce these guys at the at the at the minor league level these top these top prospects that like what's always funny is you know we get um, every trade deadline we get the rumors that the Dodgers won't part with any of these top prospects and everyone's like come on you can afford to give them up if it's going to get you like you know Felipe Vasquez like you you need that guy go like who cares if you give up Gavin Lux and then Gavin Lux comes up and starts tearing apart Major League Baseball and you're like. Oh, okay. Well, that's why you didn't want to trade him. Okay, fine. Because you guys, you never need to make trades because you just have these super prospects forever. And he's like, he's raked at every level of the minors. So he he seems entirely legit to me. Um, I haven't read much in terms of a scouting report, so I don't really know like, you know, what his exact strengths are. But again, you know, first round pick, they gave him a huge signing bonus. He's torn up the minor leagues. Like, He's definitely a legitimate prospect. Like I'm not terribly surprised that he's doing this. If you look at the numbers he's put up, you know, across the minors, you know, and actually looking at the scouting report now, you know, he's got 60 grades on hitting, running, like he's 55 on power. That's pretty damn impressive. And he's he's a big boy too, six two, two hundred. Like for a shortstop, that's that's a solid build. Or I guess well, they're playing him at second base. Um. So yeah, it's it. <laughs> Again, you look you look at the Dodgers like list of prospects. It's just amazing how they just churn these dudes out. You know, a, a major league team that's on pace to win like 107 games should not also have a farm system that's one of the three best in baseball or whatever it is. That doesn't make any sense. How do you keep doing that? Well, I guess on the one hand, like, well, maybe it should because that's part of how they win 100 plus games in the division every single right, year. Right, they're sustainable. Like they yeah, have the most sustainable that, model them, outside of the Astros and, and baseball. Them, the Astros, and the Yankees have just unlocked that magic where they're just sustainably brilliant at everything. And it's got to be really frustrating for other teams to look at and go, why aren't we doing that? Like if you're the Cubs or the Red Sox, 
You know, you're just looking or the at the Braves or the Braves. You're just looking at those two teams going, well, why is that not us? What, what, what are they doing different? You know, which the great, the great mystery of our time is, or not mystery, but mystery only insofar as none of those front offices will ever tell you, but it, it certainly is really impressive what the Dodgers and the Astros and the Yankees do, you know, that they never, they're just never at this point, I, I shouldn't say never because we, you know, we, we remember the bad Astros teams, but you know, they they just look like sustainable juggernauts because they are so smart and good at player development. They just kind of leave everyone else in the dust. Yeah, that's a good way of putting a bow on this episode, John. Um, what can we read from you at si.com this week? Uh, this week? Hmm. Well, I just had my, what will probably be the last edition of the regular season of my monthly awards watch thing, just kind of taking a look at the AL MVP, Cy Young, and Rookie of the Year races, which... Not going to lie, not all that interesting, honestly. Trout's pretty much locked up the MVP. Cy Young is either going to be Verlander or Cole. Rookie of the year is almost certainly going to be Jordan Alvarez. And Brandon Lau is done for the year. Um, so that went out today or earlier earlier Wednesday. I'm not actually sure when this is coming out, so I need to clarify that for all your... This is coming out tonight. Well, there you go. Earlier Wednesday. Uh, had a piece mm. on the AL Awards races. Uh, don't think there's anything else coming out this week. Um, we're probably going to start getting into playoffs. Well, I got to say playoff preview stuff relatively soon. I mean, I know it's only the days before, so maybe not for another couple weeks, but you know, certainly it's, it's crazy how the regular season already almost over. You know, it feels like the all-star break was two weeks ago. And now all of a sudden we're, you know, we've, we've only got like 30 or so games left for everybody. But, uh, yeah, check out the L awards race piece. If you want to know who is going to lose to Mike Trout this season, uh, which I mean, man, I hope I hope Mike Trout wins. Please stop stealing. Please stop taking MVP awards away from Mike Trout. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, otherwise I'll just be you know keeping up with the news, blogging about it, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see what else happens between now and uh, now and October. All right, John. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much, and I will talk to you very soon, sir. Thanks, dude. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you again to our presenting sponsor, Ponko Chicken. Um, thank you again to all of my awesome guests for coming on the pod. Um, and don't forget, if you like today's episode and you are an Apple Podcast listener, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. It helps. Um, you can also find us on Google Play, Spotify, Um where you can access all of my previous episodes and read all my work. So chase someone's podcast slash page hyphen 11. Um, so go do that. Read all my stuff. Listen to the podcast. Um, all that good stuff. Uh, also follow me on Twitter at chase double underscore Thomas. Uh, like the Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. And uh, also follow me on Instagram at chase double underscore Thomas. All right. Thanks so much, guys. And I will have another episode for you very soon. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.